Thank you, worship team. Good morning, church. Good morning. Would you please take your Bibles this morning and turn again to the book of Philippians. We're going to be studying Philippians again. The last two weeks we've been studying Philippians. Uh, Paul's letter, his epistle of joy. And today, as Wayne mentioned, we're going to be studying Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 18 on page number 1,161. So I'm looking forward to uh, this morning. I'm looking forward to next week because next week, Mr. Dave Martiaga, he's going to be preaching. He's not even looking at me. He's going to be preaching Philippians next week, and uh, I certainly look forward to that. Well, as, uh, as you're turning to Philippians chapter 1, verses 8 through 18, uh, I just want to ask you a question. And I want you to kind of think about this, reflect on this with me this morning. And that question is, Have you ever been separated or distanced from a loved one? Have you ever been just apart from somebody who is near and dear to your heart? And I'll I'll give you some examples. Maybe maybe you're a a mom or a dad and and you're finally sending your your baby girl or or baby boy off to college for their first semester and, and that's... That's going to be a, a difficult thing for you. Maybe you have a loved one, maybe a spouse, son or a daughter who uh, is in the armed forces and uh, they're stationed and, and you're, you're waiting for them to come home. Uh, maybe perhaps, just like we saw this morning, uh, you have a friend, somebody in your church who is going to be going on a missions trip and, and you're going to be kind of distanced from them for a little bit. I remember uh, when Michelle and I, when we were still dating, she went on a three-month-long missions trip to Brazil, and uh, she was down there with an ABWE missionary at the Amazon Baptist Hospital doing some medical missions down there. And uh, I remember that because I remember when she was gone, I was praying for her. I was worried about her, obviously, and I missed her. And I remember, I just remember getting those phone calls, those long-distance phone calls where you had like a little AT&T calling card. And uh, just being so happy to be able to hear her voice, to know that she made it there okay, and that everything was going to be fine. And I remember writing the letters, I remember sending the packages, and I remember uh, I just couldn't wait until she, sh- she could come home. Uh, another time in our life, uh, when I really felt this quite a bit, I remember when Michelle and I went to the hospital when our second daughter, Autumn, was born. Uh, many of you know she was born six weeks early, and... Uh, she's fine. She's great. She's healthy. She's a wonderful gift from the Lord. But I remember because she was born six weeks early, uh, she had to spend about two weeks in the NICU at Meritor Hospital. And I remember going to the hospital every single day. And our little baby girl was, you know, kind of in this glass incubator. And while the glass was maybe only just a half inch thick, it felt like there was this huge distance between us. You know, and we had all these questions of, uh, you know, you know when, when, when are these tubes going to come out? When are we going to finally be able to take her out of, out of this, this glass case and be able to hold her? When are we finally going to be able to take her home from the hospital? And during these times, when we're separated or distanced or we're apart from our loved ones, there's this longing that we experience. There's this yearning that we feel, this hurt that's, that's deep down inside of us. You know, people say absence makes the heart grow fonder. During these times, it always seems like we pray a little bit more fervently. 
that we lean on our church family for support, and our faith is refined because really there's, there's not a whole lot that we can do except to trust God, to pray, to wait, and to hope. Well, this is where we begin in Philippians chapter 1, verse 8. We begin with this longing and yearning for our loved ones. We find the Apostle Paul, he's separated from his church family, from the ones that he loves. He's in prison, he's in Rome, he's literally uh, chained or shackled to a Roman guard 24-7 and his future is uncertain. The Philippian church, they knew about this, they were praying for him, they were supporting him, and in verse 8, we get kind of a glimpse into his emotions and we see just how deeply he longed and yearned and ached for his loved ones. So this morning, I ask you, please stand with me. I'm going to read verses uh, 8 through 18, and then after I'm done reading, would you please remain standing for a word of prayer as uh, we seek the Lord's blessing in this in the reading of his holy word. Verse 8, the Apostle Paul says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we will give you praise. We thank you again for your love, for your mercy, for your grace, for demonstrating that grace to us by sending your one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And Lord, this morning I pray that you would fill our hearts full of joy, joy that can only come from your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would give us the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And this morning I ask that you would allow us to step back from our circumstances in the trials and perhaps even the sufferings that we're going through and to understand that this is all for you. The only thing that really matters is that Jesus Christ is preached. 
that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, born of the Virgin Mary, who lived a perfect life, died on the cross in our place and for our sins. And not only that, but he rose from the grave so that our sins could be forgiven, so that we could have everlasting life. And Lord, this morning we rejoice in the fact that you freely give that to us by your grace. Lord, that we don't bring anything to the table when it comes to salvation. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. And I pray this morning that you would allow us to uh, not just understand your word, but Lord, that we would apply your word and that we would glorify you. Lord, may you be glorified in our hearts, in our minds, in our bodies. And Lord, we completely throw ourselves at your mercy this morning and we ask for your blessing. We pray this all in the name and the authority of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. All right. Well, this morning, as you can see in your your bulletins and on the slide, uh, the sermon title is entitled Prayers, Prison, and Persecution. And the reason for that is that in our passage this morning, there are these three kind of natural themes or breaks. And obviously the overarching theme is joy in Christ from Philippians. But in these verses, we see that joy in three contexts. We see Paul's joy in his prayers. We see Paul's joy in prison. And we see Paul's joy in persecution. So uh, our very first section is verses 8 through 11. And we're going to take a look at Paul's joy in prayer. And he starts verse 8, just as I read a second ago. He says, God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And there's two things I want you to notice about this particular verse right from the beginning. First, notice that Paul, Paul cites God to verify his love and his longing for the church. He basically says, as God is my witness... I long for you in the love of Christ. I want you to understand, he doesn't, you don't just say things like that. This is serious business because Paul understands that if what he's saying here isn't true, well, well then he just broke the third commandment. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. And I want you to, secondly, we're going to do kind of three word studies in this first section. I want you to take a look at that, that word affection where Paul says, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. This is an interesting Greek word. It's actually, uh, the word is splagchnon, which it literally refers to your internal organs, more specifically your intestines and even to your bowels. And that's, that's kind of strange because if we take this verse completely literally, it's like Paul saying, I long for you with the intestines. Or, or I love you with all of my bowels. Like, like, just try putting that on a valentine and see where that gets you. Uh, that's that's kind of different. But what he means is, what he's trying to say is, I love and I long for you just from deep, deep within my being. Every part of me loves and longs for you in Christ Jesus. And it was that love and longing that fueled his prayers Verse 9, he says, And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in these two areas, knowledge and depth of insight. And his prayer for the Philippians is first that their love, 
that their unconditional, sacrificial, agape love would, in a sense, overflow, that it would excel, that it would do so more and more, that it would abound. And not just that it would abound, that it would almost like super abound. And that it would abound in this area first of knowledge. Now, this is our second word study. That word knowledge is the Greek word epinosis. And epi means real or full or true. Gnosis means knowledge. So what Paul's talking about is not just not just knowing stuff, Paul's saying that you would know like true knowledge, real knowledge, full knowledge, that it can only come from God's word and from God's son, that you would have insights into the realization, the truth of the gospel. Basically what Paul's saying is, my prayer for you is not just that you would have head knowledge of Jesus Christ, but that you would have head knowledge and heart knowledge or insight into Christ. And i got to tell you, isn't, isn't this what we really want for ourselves? Isn't this what we want for our children? Not just that they have Christ in their heads, but they have Christ in their hearts. And the reason he wants this, verse 10, so that, he says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. The point is that we have the capability of knowing what's best. Like, I, don't, I want what's best for my kids. I don't want just what's average for my kids. I don't want them to just know right from wrong. I want them to be able to know the difference between what's okay and what's best. Paul says the reason for this also is that so that we may be pure. And this is our third word study for this section. So that we can be pure, so that we can be blameless. That word pure here is a really interesting word because that word, the actual meaning of it is to be judged by sunlight. And what it's actually referring to is pottery, which sounds kind of strange, but uh, back in ancient times, pottery was a huge uh, it was a huge business, and what would happen is uh, the finest of potteries was always very fragile, and it would often crack or it would break in you know, the oven when it was being baked. And what would happen is a lot of uh, dishonest pottery dealers, what they would do is they would try to pass off this fine pottery as, as being okay and not cracked, and they would, take, they would actually take this wax, and they would fill in the cracks in the pottery, but you could see the wax when you held it up to the sun. So what buyers would do is when they went to the market, they would take this piece of pottery and they would just kind of like hold it up, really kind of give it a good look over to see if they could see any wax that was in there. They judged it by sunlight. And what Paul's saying is, the goal for us, the Christian, is to be found pure and sincere, basically after much scrutiny after being kind of baked in the oven to be appraised as authentic, to be judged by sunlight. The Apostle Peter uh, talked about this in 1 Peter 2.12. He said, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. He was praying that we would live pure lives, righteous lives, blameless lives lives 
And I, and I have to tell you this morning, let me just clarify, this is something that we can't do on our own. There's only one way that this is possible. We can't be pure on our own. We can't be blameless on our own. We can't stand up to that scrutiny on our own. Paul says in verse 7 that the only way we can be filled with the fruit of righteousness, he says, that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This purity, this fruit, this righteousness, this blamelessness, we can't produce those things by ourselves. No. You see, and this is very important to understand, these things might flow through us as Christians, but they don't come from us. It comes through Christ. I heard a story that I think illustrates this uh, really well. Uh, it's actually a story from Lawrence of Arabia. Uh, some of the younger people, they might not even know who Lawrence of Arabia is. Um, but there's a story that Lawrence of Arabia, after World War I, he actually brought a group of Arabian Bedouins to London. And he showed them all of London. He showed them the sights. And, and to be honest, the, the Bedouins, they weren't really interested in, in anything that London had to offer. There was only one thing that they were really interested in, and that was when they were at their hotel room, they were fascinated. It's going to sound strange. They were fascinated by the faucet in their bathroom. Because, I mean, they, just, they, they thought the faucet was just the most marvelous thing that they'd ever seen because they had only ever lived in tents in the middle of the desert, and water was, was very scarce. It was very hard to come by. And, and when they were in these hotel rooms, they could just, you know, turn the water on, turn it, like, turn it. I mean, they, they thought this was like the best thing that they'd ever seen in their lives. That's all that they wanted to do. They thought it was the most wonderful thing. Well, at the end of the trip, uh, Lawrence was helping these Bedouins pack up their things, and what he discovered is they, they basically took all the faucets off of all of the sinks, and they packed them in their bags. And he had to explain to them, he was like, no, no, you, you don't understand. You see, what they thought was, they thought that water came from faucets. They thought they could take this faucet and just stick it in the desert, and they'd get water again. And Lawrence had to explain to them, water flows through faucets. It doesn't come from faucets. Faucets by themselves can't do anything at all. And likewise, what Paul's saying here is, Christians, we need to understand that by ourselves, we, we can't do anything. Any purity, any fruit, any righteousness, that always comes from Christ. It might flow through the Christian, but make no mistake, it does not come through the Christian. Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Apart from me, you can do nothing. That's right. So to think that anything good comes from us, that's a mistake. And it was Paul's prayer that we understand that this morning. Let's go to our second section. Uh, this is verses 12 through 14, and we see Paul's joy in the context of prison. And he starts verse 12 by saying, Now I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What has happened to me? What has happened to him? Well, we know he was in prison. He was in Rome. Like I said before, he was literally chained to a Roman guard 24-7. They would take shifts and they were with him all the time. Paul called himself an ambassador in chains for Christ Jesus. But 
But his point is, what he's saying is, this is actually good for the gospel. This might sound bad, but it's actually good for the gospel. What he's saying is, the gospel is actually better advanced in prison than if he was free. I read another story about uh, a Bulgarian pastor who was imprisoned in 1985, and really, his only crime was that he was preaching the gospel in his church. And uh, he, was, he was tried, his, his trial was a total mockery of justice, and when he was sentenced, he was sentenced to eight months in prison, and during that eight months, trust me, he did not stop preaching the gospel, and when he got out of prison, he wrote a book, and the title was, Called to Suffer, Called to Triumph, and this is what he wrote about when he was in prison. He said, both prisoners and jailers asked many questions. And it turned out that we had a more fruitful ministry there than we could have expected in church. God was better served by our presence in prison than if we'd been free. And this is exactly what Paul is saying. He's saying, look at verse 13. He's saying, as a result, it's become clear through the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And I, I want to talk about that palace guard for a second. Some of your Bibles, it'll say, uh, not palace guard, it'll say the praetorian guard. Now, the praetorian guard in Rome were like the elite super soldiers of Rome. These were the men who were, uh, they were all Italian by birth. They were handpicked. They were the bodyguards to the emperor of Rome. This was like the secret service to the president that we see today. In fact, this group was even more than that. In fact, these men became so influential and so powerful, they weren't just called the king protectors. They were called the king makers because, in fact, they even influenced who the Roman emperor would be. So I want you to think about this. Paul is preaching the gospel to the most influential men in the entire Roman Empire. These are the men who influence who's going to become the emperor of Rome. This is a good thing. Paul is literally chained to the men who choose the emperor. And he gets to share the gospel with these people day and night, over and over again. Paul, it's true, yes, Paul is in prison. But I want you to remember some things. Remember, Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul wanted to share the gospel with the Roman Empire. Yes, Paul is is chained by his captors, but it's as if his captors have become his captive audience. Paul gets to do exactly what he wants to do. He's in Rome. He's preaching the gospel. He's preaching it to the most influential men in the entire empire. So, What I'm saying here is, he actually has the advantage. Paul's seeing fruit from this. So much so, he says, look at verse 14, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly, meaning that that Paul is full of courage and the brothers in Christ, it's like they're emboldened by this. They see this and they are are bolstered in their faith. They're fearless because this horrible circumstance that most people would think of, 
it's actually an advantage when it comes to the gospel. And, and this is what I want you to think about this morning uh, for just a moment. Just reflect on this. And that is, what if that suffering that you're going through, what if that trial that you're going through, what if that difficult circumstance that you are facing is actually an advantage when it comes to sharing the gospel. Two years ago, I took our, our teens, our youth ministry, on a missions trip to Chicago. And uh, when we got there, our group coordinator, it was a guy, his name was Tim Wilkerson. And, and you have to understand, Tim Wilkerson, he's a guy who is, he is fired up about Jesus. I mean, you talk to Tim Wilkerson, you're going to talk about Jesus. I remember the very first night that we were there, uh, we were doing our devotional, and this guy was, uh, during his devotional, he was doing a karate demonstration. He was like breaking boards with his hands. He broke a board with his head. I mean, I've been a youth pastor for a long time. I don't do stuff like that. But this guy, I mean, he was just, he was a wild man for Jesus. But here's the thing about Tim. Tim's blind. Tim can't see anything, uh, or barely anything. Uh, he shared in his testimony that when he was 25, he, he lost his eyesight. And I remember when we, when we first got to Chicago and I met this guy, I, I have to be honest, I thought to myself, like, okay, uh, you know, a group coordinator is blind. I, I don't know how this is going to work, but, you know, when you're on missions, you just, you know, you just roll with it, you just go with it. I didn't know how that was going to work. But when Tim shared his testimony, he talked about being blind. And, and one of the things that he said is, he said, you know, some people think that me being blind is a handicap. But he said, but it's not. He said, the truth is that being blind is a huge advantage. He said, everywhere I go, people come up to me and they ask if they can help me or if I ask someone to help me. Nobody ever says no. And when people do help me, I say, oh, thank you so much for blessing me. Now let me be a blessing to you. And he shares the gospel with them. And he said, and they listen. He said, they listen because I'm blind. And because I'm blind, I have this huge advantage in sharing the gospel. I get to share the gospel with just every single person that I meet. So what was happening on our mission trip, I mean, we're at the park, and Tim's out there, and he's sharing the gospel with everybody. And do you know what that did for the rest of our group? That made us more bold. That made us more confident because we thought to ourselves, well, Tim's out there sharing the gospel with everyone, and he's blind, so, so what's my excuse? You see, Tim's blindness was an advantage for him, but it was also an encouragement to the rest of us to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. And this is what Paul's saying. All right. Our third section, this is Paul's joy in the context of persecution. And uh, we read in this section, he starts in verse 15. I'll read through verse 17. He says, It is true, some preached Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. And we need to kind of ask ourselves, okay, uh, what's, what's really going on here? What's happening in this verse? And what's happening is that while Paul is in prison, he's actually being persecuted, not just by the unbelievers, he's being persecuted by fellow Christians. You see, fellow Christians were 
criticizing and accusing him. And in a sense, they were kind of kicking him while he was down, while he was in prison. He couldn't defend himself. And I got to tell you, that's, that's difficult because, because we expect to be maligned by unbelievers. But when you're maligned by fellow Christians, that, that's hard. That's, that hurts. And Paul says, like, these were fellow Christians. They professed Christ. They professed the gospel but yet they were full of envy and jealousy and rivalry. And, and while they had right doctrine, they had wrong motives. And they, it's like they used Paul's imprisonment as this, this platform to, to persecute him. James Montgomery Boyce says about these people, he says, These people were Christians. They were not anti-Christ. They were anti-Paul. But they were anti-Paul with a vengeance. And they were saying all these things against Paul, and, and people wonder, okay, well, what, what were they saying about Paul? And we don't know specifically what they were accusing him of, but maybe it could have been, I mean, they could have said things like, well, God freed Paul when he was in a Philippian jail. Why isn't God freeing Paul when he's in a Roman jail? You know, they could have said, maybe, maybe God's punishing Paul. Maybe Paul has some kind of secret sin. Maybe Paul compromised the gospel. Maybe Paul kind of cozied up to the Romans, and that's the only reason that he's still alive and he's not a martyr right now. They could have said, you know what, I'm preaching the gospel and I'm not in prison. What did Paul do to be in prison? Maybe they said, you know what, maybe Paul's time is done. You don't have to worry about Paul anymore. You don't have to, why don't you come listen to me? Come follow me. How does Paul respond to this? this persecution from his fellow believers, he says, verse 18, but what does it matter? He says, the important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. And it's like Paul saying, okay, come on. This is pointless. This doesn't matter. You know what? People can say whatever they want to say about me. People don't have to like me. They don't have to connect with me because it's not about me. Paul says it, it's, it's about the gospel. It's about Christ being preached. And he'd say, anybody who knows me knows that's why I'm here. I'm here to defend the gospel and all I really care about is the gospel and that's all that matters. So you know what? Sometimes when it comes to pettiness within the church, you just have to let it go. You just have to let it go and not let it rob you of your joy. I remember when I first got into ministry, one of the things that Pastor Craig uh, told me from the very beginning is, uh, you know, Pastor Craig, he'd say, Nick, you're in ministry. You have to learn to be able to deal with criticism. You know, you're going to get emails. You're going to have people say things about you. Uh, you have to learn to be okay with that. He'd say, um, you know, people aren't always going to agree with you. They're not always going to connect with you. People might not always like you. Christians are good people, but they're not perfect people. And when there's conflict, when there's criticism, he'd say, you have to be the bigger person here. And one of the things he'd always say, this is going to sound weird, he'd say, Nick, like a duck, be like a duck. <laughs> he's like, when the criticism comes, just let it roll off your back. Just let it roll off your back. Like a duck, Nick. And uh, sometimes... You just have to let it go. And what Paul's saying here is the important thing isn't, isn't this pettiness, isn't this criticism. 
the important thing, the only thing, really, is that Christ is preached. Because you know what? God uses still people with imperfect motives as long as the gospel message is true. You think God can use people with imperfect and flawed motives? Look at Jonah. Did God give him a message? Was Jonah's, me- or, I'm sorry, was Jonah's motives pure? Did Jonah really want the people of Nineveh to repent? Oh, no, not at all. But did God use Jonah? Yes, he did. God used Jonah in spite of Jonah, and that's really the lesson of the book of Jonah. The truth is that God's word, it's God's word that is powerful. It is God and Jesus Christ that bring about change, no matter what the motive of a person is. Isaiah 55, 11 says, So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty or void, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. The point is, The power lies in the gospel and not the preacher. Scottish minister John Eady once said, The virtue lies in the gospel, not in the gospeler. In the exposition, not in the expounder. And one of the things I am so thankful for is that it is not about the preacher. It is not about liking me. It is not about liking the preacher or or liking the next preacher that comes along. Because the truth of the matter is, I can't save anybody. It is the power of the gospel and God's word and Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit that people are saved. So, again, we come back to this theme of any fruit, any righteousness, any blessing that we receive, that comes through Christ. And this is reason for rejoicing. So often we let pettiness steal our joy. Paul wasn't going to let that happen. Would you bow with me in a word of prayer? Lord God, this morning, we thank you that even in the the midst of very difficult circumstances, there is always reason for rejoicing, that the gospel message still goes forth. Lord, this morning, I just want to pray that if there is anyone here who has not yet received Jesus Christ as their Savior, that they would understand that salvation is from your Son, comes from hearing the gospel. It's through the power of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, again, I pray that they would understand there is no work that we can do. There is no, there is nothing we can bring to the table. Lord, your word says it is by grace we have been saved through faith. This is not of ourselves. This is a gift of God. Not by works so that no man can boast. Lord, we know that every good and perfect gift comes from you and you don't change that lord you are flawless and we thank you for sending your son jesus christ to die for us i pray lord this morning that if there's anyone here who has not yet received salvation through faith in jesus christ lord that they would speak to me that they would speak to one of our elders make an appointment here at our church so that they can experience this kind of joy so that they can have forgiveness, they can have peace, they can have purpose, and that they can have life. Lord, I thank you for this body. I pray that we would be united. I pray, Lord, 
that you would help us to stay focused on the one thing that does matter, and that is your Son, Jesus Christ, the word that he spoke, and Lord, our responsibility to share that with others. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a good message for a desperate world. And I pray that you would make us fearless and give us courage that you would embolden us, Lord, to go forth from this place, to make disciples, and Lord, to advance the cause of the gospel, both here in Verona, in Guatemala, and to the ends of the earth. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you. We pray all these things again in the name and the authority of your Son, Jesus Christ.